With Medical Memory recording hundreds of thousands of patients with their HIPAA-compliant mobile app, we felt it was relevant to start discussing the best practices in patient communication, especially now that so many providers are recording these patient interactions with video. My name is Julie Uramez, and I've spent 15 years working with physicians to strengthen their communication skills. Listen in as we learn tips from the industry's best in patient experience. How can we strengthen these patient and family conversations and help our nurses and providers optimize their time, especially now that the camera is on. So quiet on the set, roll camera. This is scene one, take one, patient. Now, action. All right. Hi, my name is Julie Uramez, and I am very excited um, to have my guest today. Her name is Amber Belt. She works uh, with Sage Sharona, um, and she's uh, I, I actually found her on Instagram when I was looking at different ways that doctors are, are addressing communication challenges, patient communication challenges. And, and she brought up a topic that I thought was incredibly interesting, which was talking about medical gaslighting. Um, and this was something I had never, I've heard of gaslighting before, but I had never really heard about it in a medical space. And so instantly I said, hey, can you hop on my podcast and not only just educate me about what this means and what this means for patients and what doctors can kind of do to make sure they're, they're not being perceived as gaslighters and just kind of explain a little bit more about it. Um, so with that, let me let actually you, Dr. Belt, um, introduce yourself a little bit more of your experience, and let's kind of start diving right into to what is medical gaslighting. Sure. So um, I'm a naturopathic physician, and so what that means, if you're not familiar with what a naturopathic physician is, is we attend a four-year medical school. The first two years are pretty similar to what you'd get in a conventional medical school with anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and, and that type of thing with those basic sciences, when we start to kind of delve into how to treat patients, that's kind of where we, we have a very philosophical and treatment difference from conventional medicine. Um, you know, we work more with nutrition, um, herbal medicine, homeopathics, you know, those kinds of things um, as treatment plans. And I certainly can prescribe drugs and do minor surgery, but those types of treatments are more second line for me rather than first line. Sure, sure. Um, and so, so what, what definitely, and that's kind of also becoming something more common recently too, or something that even I'm understanding more, maybe it's more of a personal thing. My dad's had spine surgery, has a ton of pain, and he's now really leaning into more of the natural aspects that he can do to also help um, remedy these things, even in addition to what he's already doing, um, just to kind of get a little more like physiological, like support there. Um, but, and so, so yeah, I can, I mean, definitely it's a, it's something that we're learning about, you know, all the time and then especially more in this space. Um, so what is it even with that psychological difference there, um, kind of what then explain a little bit more about what medical gaslighting is and, and why that difference in perception is, is kind of important and, and addresses that. Yeah. So um, medical gaslighting happens when a patient's symptoms are blown off or dismissed or denied by their practitioner. Um, and so that that interaction there where their symptoms are invalidated or, or 
where they are blown off, it really invalidates the patient and what their experience is. So, so the practitioner might be telling the patient that their symptoms aren't that bad or that their symptoms couldn't possibly be due to their condition or they couldn't possibly have this many symptoms happening at the same time. Um, and what happens in this case is a lot of times medical gaslighting will stop the process of the patient getting proper workup to get them diagnosed and then treated correctly. Um, which, you know, that's not good to have your patient not getting treatment or getting a big delay in treatment. Right, right. Invalidation. Um, yeah, and I think the way that it kind of... The two, you know, the two different paths between, you know, my practice and a conventional practice. Um, with naturopathic medicine, we really try to see the whole person. And I think a lot of times in conventional medicine, just due to the nature of the way it's set up, it's more compartmentalized. So yeah. this patient with this huge collection of symptoms that don't fit sort of into that specialty. Yeah. A lot of times, a medical gaslighting can occur. Sure, and that also is maybe they have a couple things wrong. Maybe it's not just one solution; it might be five solutions. You know, when when those type of things are happening, where a patient is not feeling kind of heard or validated, and especially like their pain or their pain places aren't making as much logic, or or even in like some of the chronic illnesses uh, that patients have, I mean, what is the impact that that has on a patient and their kind of you know, desire to seek care, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, when patients report to me that, that these experiences are happening to them, you know, they get really confused and they get scared. They get, and then they get anxious about seeing that practitioner. And so maybe they won't, they won't go to their scheduled follow-up as they're supposed to, or they won't get their labs done because they're just trying to avoid that negative interaction that they've had with the practitioner. Yeah. So I think what happens is they delay care or they can even stop care because yeah. they're just not feeling heard. Well, and, and, and that, it makes me, the one thing I also think even with that, that you said in our previous conversation that I thought was really interesting is when you're talking about, well, some of the restrictions that some of these providers have um, in there, and that's where it can kind of seem like a provider mm -hmm. might be medical gaslighting because they're not, you know, recommending certain like labs or certain scans or anything along those yeah. lines. But the reality is, is that there's, there's kind of like an operational barrier with, um, with these things too, as far as like, um, that they can't get some of these, you know, things completed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to call myself out a little bit because I have a cash pay practice. So I don't deal with that, especially when you're talking about insurance coverage. I don't have to deal with that as much as a conventional practitioner. But I think I get enough of a taste of it to understand to some degree. Like, you know, um, yeah. So, you know, so I understand that the way the system works. Yeah. If your patient doesn't fit into the box of condition A, you're not going to be able to get, you know, the labs or the treatment or the imaging or whatever you want off the yeah. patient. And I think that can really, it frustrates me and I don't have to deal with it all day, every day. Yeah. So I think that can spill over to the patient and you can't get the 
labs you want for them to see it, to dial their condition in so you can feed it correctly. So then maybe you get frustrated with the patient and their numerous complaints, and then you sort of inadvertently gaslight them, you know, by yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, and so that's kind of an interesting question is I didn't really understand that that is, can be the case um, mm -hmm. in some of these places. And, and I would assume, and I, I, I feel like I kind of understand medicine just because of my experience, but I would assume that maybe a lot of patients may not understand kind of the complexities of some of the reasons why these doctors may not recommend it. Or again, if it's a timing issue or a doctor might be like, I don't know what even to tell you now. Um, where, you know, what are, what are even some of the communication pieces that a provider could give to a patient to not only just educate them about what potentially is available, like you are available or different things are available, but, but, but why they may kind of brush off, not really brush off, but just not be saying, let's go get an MRI for your headache or whatever it might be. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, I think. A big piece of it from, you know, and I, I hear more from patients than I do from other practitioners, but from the patient end, I do think that that really open and honest communication is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, being honest with your patient about what your restrictions are or being honest with a really complex patient that you haven't ever seen this particular combination of symptoms before. So maybe you need to dive in and do some research for them, you know, to either brush up on what's going on with them or, you know, figure out what's going on with them. And I think it's okay to admit that you're hemmed in by insurance, you know, re requirements. And I also think it's okay to tell your patient that you don't know all the answers. And that way, when you say like, you know, you tell them, I don't, maybe you wouldn't say it like this, but you tell them, I don't know what to do with this symptom they know that you're on their side instead of hearing, yeah. I don't know what to do with that symptom. Now go away. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's interesting. Cause it, it goes back into that team mindset. You know, we had this pediatrician on our podcast last week who was talking even about the physical nature of making sure a parent um, and a, and a patient always is understanding they're on their side is by like sitting next to them saying, Hey, cause he had some that were more chronic illness um, with an ear, nose and throat and saying, Hey, I'm in this journey with you throughout this whole space. Um, and so similar kind of in that is like, you know, I may not have all the answers, but this is what I know. And this is why I'm confused or not sure. Um, um, in, in, in this, especially when, because I would think even for a physician, it's hard to, if you're not knowing those answers, like you, you, you're, you're like, you know, me mentally, I'm like, I go to a doctor, they should know everything. Like they right. should know like way too many things, uh, even outside of medicine, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's that perception, that white coat perception that they can they just know it all. Um, yeah. And what you're saying is kind of taking that step back and just being like, Hey, like I'm human. Let's talk about our limitations and why, why I'm not seeing this or why I'm not understanding it or why I'm not recommending that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's good, especially with where the pediatrician was coming from, is having that patient practitioner or the patient, yeah, patient practitioner relationship as a partnership. And, you know, traditionally, classically with gaslighting, it's like a, it's like a power play, which yeah. might be true for some practitioners, but I don't think that's the case for most practitioners. And, and I think when you're honest with your patients too, in more of a partnership rather than like a 
parent-child kind of relationship. Yeah. They do recognize that you're human and you don't know all the answers, but but you're working with them and you're working for that to get them better. Yeah. And so what other like tips would you say? It's like if a provider's like, okay, I do see myself kind of having more of this role or kind of not intentionally, but dismissing these things or things along those lines. Like, I mean, if you were going to kind of say, Hey, these are some tips that I would really recommend um, so that a patient's not perceiving it as gaslighting or isn't perceiving it as that being, you know, dismissed. Um, what would be some things that you'd really suggest? Okay. I have a bunch of suggestions. <laughs> I thought about this a lot. So, and I thought about, you know, what do patients bring to me about other practitioners? And of course, I always take what patients say with a grain of salt because sometimes they don't feel well and their perception isn't 100% spot on. But I think one of the most common things that um, patients will sort of complain to me about is um, like in the last maybe five to eight years is practitioners just having their head in their keyboard and typing and not connecting to them, connecting yeah. with them, like that eye contact. Yeah. Um, and it's probably worse in the last couple of years because so, you know, we're doing so much more telemedicine now. Yeah. It's even harder to connect. So if you're not making that connection, a lot of times it's really hard for the patient to feel heard. Um, so I think for practitioners on a practical level, if you are yeah. terrible at typing and you have to look at your keyboard, maybe take a typing class so you can type while you're looking at your yeah. patient, yeah. which I never have been as grateful for my typing class in high school as I am now um, yeah, right. because I can type and look at my patient. Maintaining that, that, yeah, that, that, that connection, yeah. you know, absolutely. Yeah. And I think another way we can, you know, not gaslight patients is, you know, I, with female patients who are a, a larger portion of the patient population to be gaslit because, you know, kind of historically we see female patients, not maybe not consciously, but, you know, as being hysterical and dramatizing their symptoms when maybe yeah. they're not. But I see a lot of women get blown off and told, oh, your symptoms are because of your hormones. Okay. Well, <laughs> and yeah, maybe that's yeah. the case, but you know, if they're having symptoms because of something like hormones, you know, yeah. dig in and, and do a little more investigation. Right. Um, I think the same applies with the whole getting older thing. I have had a patient who, um, who was told to stop running because her knee hurt and she was just getting older, you know, but I ordered imaging for her and she had a meniscal tear. So, you know, there was something going wrong. It wasn't just yeah. getting older. Yeah. So I think, yeah getting the time and the space to do that investigation for your patients is important. Um, and it's so interesting you said that because that was one thing that really caught me when you and I had our first conversation is, you know, that it, it being in a profession that you chose and the type medical specialty that you chose, there's really a lot of association with the mind and the body and, and that it does take that extra but I think you even had said compassion to really like truly listen and really like kind of hear and pull out from the patient to be able to investigate these symptoms further. So some of the things they may kind of say are less, uh, you know, are like, wait a minute, wait, tell me more about that. And having the, the, and I thought it was interesting. You're like, I just get to really hear, hear somebody out, especially when they've kind of been told, oh, you're just getting older. Oh, well, you're just a hysterical woman with hormones, you know, like, right. oh, it's postpartum, you know, whatever. And you're just mm -hmm. like, 
Well, what is the association of the mind body when you are looking at holistically? And then that being said is let's really talk through, you know, and identify these and investigate, you said, these symptoms. Yeah. And it could be tough to sort of tease that apart. I mean, I think, you know, I've been in practice for a little over 15 years and a big part of my practice, you know, historically has been people who have chronic illness and chronic pain. And I think, I think in those instances, we, we especially see that connection, that mind body connection. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's a skill to hone, to really be able to, you know, to see what, what are symptoms that you can work up and like quantify? And then what do you need to maybe refer out for, you know, another type of, you know, another type modality of treatment, whether that's sure. you know, therapy or um, I have a whole list of them, you know, meditation. Can they yeah. do yoga? Can, can they do clinical hypnotherapy to sort yeah. of, you know, move these, you know, cause we all know it's connected. And so they might need more, they might not just need drugs or surgery. They might need one of these other modalities to sort of help the mental connection, but without putting across the message that the practitioner thinks they're crazy. <laughs> right. Definitely. Well, and it also comes to like a question of even ownership. Like if I have like I'm doing everything I can and I'm and I'm trying to kind of maybe do some of these other practices, um, you know, like meditation or you know, some of the water therapies that they do, that at least now I am still becoming an active participant and owner in my own health. Um, where I think that that kind of goes when you are having these symptoms or these things that are just not quite making sense and not aligning is, well, how do you, there's gotta be an element of like hopelessness that these patients will have of like, why well, don't you know what to do? Like, uh, give me another medication, give me another surgery where you're kind of like, well, actually like, let's kind of address both of these issues, especially when, when you think about anxiety or stress and what those can do to your health, you know, which is all minds, you know, um, you know, it's interesting, like that power that you kind of give back then. And, and yeah, it's, exactly. yeah, that kind of thing is super empowering for the patient, which is, and the more we can get the patient to buy in and be a partner, you know, a true partner in that relationship, the better they're going to be in the, you know, I think everyone's happier in that scenario because I know when you have a patient who just like has raging diabetes, but won't stop eating pie, like that gets frustrating. So if you can get them to buy in and make some changes and take some positive steps towards their own health, it really does benefit everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things is I think that has evolved aggressively, of course, we know with COVID um, is the use of technology, the use of, you know, doing visits virtually um, in this capacity, um, even medical memory that's now using these visits to record these patients um, and these doctors, especially in a consultative space where you might give a lot more information that's beyond kind of their scope. Um, how have you, what are your thoughts about how that really can impact um, a naturopathic um, approach to communication um, either in both of those ways? Or does that also become more challenging because a lot of these visits might be more virtual at first? Um, what, what are kind of like, how are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, on recording, I think that, you know, I think a couple things, a couple huge benefits of having the recorded visits. Um, I think, first of all, you know, 
it can allow the patient to go back and watch the visit or even have somebody, you know, their partner or parent or whoever watch the visit with them so that they, you know, sometimes when patients are in the office visit, they're freaked out or they're nervous that they're at the doctor and they're not really hearing what the practitioner is saying. Yeah. So if they get a chance to take that step back and get a little space, you know, they can, they can get a more, maybe a more accurate idea of what the practitioner, you know, was intending with that visit. And they didn't actually say this, they actually said this other thing, but they, right. they just heard it wrong. Um, so I think like having that recorded recall can be really valuable for the patient. Sure. Um, and I think for practitioners too, like when I, look at patient advocacy websites and stuff, um, bringing, you know, bringing another person to a visit can really cut down on medical gaslighting. And so to me that, that what that tells me is that some accountability for the practitioner, you know, helps them watch themselves a little bit better because most medical gaslighting happens when the patient and the practitioner are alone. So, you know, recording the visit is another sort of, piece of, it's almost like having another person in the room, right? So that bit of accountability might help the practitioner check themselves if they're kind of getting into that space where the patient's annoying and I just need to move on with my day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And take that extra little bit of, am I really taking that extra time to make eye contact and investigate kind of those, those pieces. Now, why do you think that they are saying that, that, I mean, and, and recording definitely is allows, especially with COVID and those restrictions are available, does allow family members to have access to it and somebody else to kind of be uh, a medium for a patient to best understand these things. But why, why were, why do you think that a person just in the room in and of itself helps minimize like medical gaslighting? Is it because they get louder than the patient or they heard it too? Like why, why do you think that is? That's a good question. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, hmm. I think the dynamics, just the dynamic shift, I think, you know, practitioner patient yeah, brings that dynamic a little bit closer. And I never, I, I rarely think the practitioner, when patients tell me, I rarely think they're trying to be like mean on purpose, but I do think it probably gives that practitioner a little bit of pause of, and maybe makes them think about what they're sounding like, not just to their patient, but to that other person who's not directly in that one-to-one relationship. For sure. And I think that that's kind of maybe where a patient's perception of gaslighting or a patient's perception of um, they just dismiss me. They're not seeing also on the other side, a clinic that is just way beyond packed to capacity. Mm-hmm. The nurses are overstretched, doctors are overstretched, and they're ta- trying to do the most that they can with the time that they have. Yeah. Um, you know, so sometimes I think even, you know, there's, that's where I think some of the tips that you mentioned of making sure you're being really transparent about, you know, why, these things are being recommended or these things aren't or why different specialties should be potentially introduced um, versus just saying it like quickly or old. No, that doesn't make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Even that little time there would have a huge impact on a patient's perception that a doctor, it might be doing this when really they're not, they're just overburdened and older, you know, understaffed and just trying to do the best with the time that they have. I totally agree. And I'm, I'm straight up with patients. I'm like, you know what? I've got a staff member out sick and so, and my nurse is on vacation. 
I might need to leave to discontinue my this patient's IV, or I might be running a little behind because I'm short staffed today. You know, we try to we try to communicate a lot with our patients about things like that, so they so that they don't get frustrated with us and think that we're yeah. not taking yeah. care of them when really we're just doing our best. Right. Right. We're all just trying to do our best. We're all just like, you know, people at the end of the day that have had, you know, people call it sick or things that are kind of happening and, and kind of, as you said before, it shifts that dynamic from like a parent, you know, kid relationship, or I know more than you relationships to really Mm -hmm. like, let's really talk these through, investigate these things, have the compassion to like, look at it side by side, kind of to move forward in, in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as in with, with, you know, that being kind of said, and you mentioned a few of these, more of the things that a doctor could do. And it sounded like you had a few other ideas. One was like, definitely, you know, be aware of what you're doing with your hands. If you need to practice those things so that you can maintain that co- eye contact, that was a great one. Um, but what are, what are kind of a few other things that we can kind of leave some of our providers, especially in really busy clinics, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they're not being perceived as that even, even when they're not, and they're not, that's not their personality, but that a patient isn't perceiving that. Yeah. So I think I'm like, Ooh, I've got some good ones here. So I think one thing that, okay. So a chronically ill patient, if they've been chronically ill or in pain for a long time, um, Sometimes they can come across really strong um, and maybe even a little aggressively. And so I think it's important if a patient disagrees with the practitioner or is asking a ton of questions, not to take that personally. They're not like testing your knowledge. They just really have questions. Yeah. So I think it's easy to get into a headspace where if a patient is asking a ton of questions or they're not just following what you want to say to get frustrated with them and then kind of want to brush them aside a bit. Um, But I think usually in my experience, it's been the patients that ask a ton of questions. Once they understand where the treatment's going, they're super compliant and they're willing to learn. Right. So yeah, being able to kind of weather that storm is a, is a good one. Um, I'm not seeing it as challenging and more of like, I just am really trying to over-educate myself. Yeah. 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 Especially when things aren't aligning, I could see that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a fine line. Like I know there can be patients who I don't, and I think most of the time they're not intentionally doing this, but they come across as like, Hey, I Googled this a bunch and now, and now I'm going to question everything you say, you know, we all hear about Dr. Google, you know, and kind of laugh at it, but, um, they're, they're really just desperate for answers. Desperate. <laughs> desperate for understanding, desperate for, yeah, knowing more. And that's where I think even that video comes into play really, you know, solidly too, is that, um, that they can go back and even reference those answers. So even if they're asking the question, like, even, like, are you really hearing what I, I did answer what you asked? Like, are you really hearing the answer? Um, and so having even like those resources of video or even content that the providers have made, that's not just always paper, um, to be able to be like, okay, now I know, like, okay, they did answer that and I can relook at it because it's just too much in the time period that they have available. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. What, what other one can you give us one, one last one on your, okay, <laughs> let me check. I think I know the one I want, but okay. Gosh. So I think 
think the most important one would be if you kind of can't figure a patient out, I think letting them know that you can't figure them out and you're going to send them somewhere else to somebody who maybe has more experience with that condition or something to yeah. get a second opinion about what's going on sure. um, is important. Patients appreciate it most of the time. They're like, oh, sure. you've actually recognized that you've kind of maxed your knowledge out yeah. and it's, you know, you need to send me to someone else. Yeah. That, that's pretty validating for them. You know, they, they feel heard and they feel, they still feel like you're on their side. Yeah. And um, so always kind of then having that referral basis of who do I know they may just even perceive this a little different than me or be more holistic in your perspective, like in what you're doing yeah. or, you know, um, you know, what are my referrals, not just the people that I know that kind of think the way I think, but kind of here's some yeah. different things that you may, you know, want to try out or look yeah. into just because I've hit capacity in my right. ability to. Um, like the, yeah. Do you have that acupuncturist, you know, in your community that's really good with pain or like I get a lot of the people who have had three surgeries and they still have pain or they have yeah. this odd collection of symptoms and really what they have going on is a chronic, you know, Epstein-Barr or Lyme disease infection that, you know, isn't quite in the in the box of conventional medicine yet. Sure, sure. No, that's great. I mean, and, 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 and as you said, is it, it validates a patient's ability to say like, okay, um, you know, I am feeling heard. I, I can look at more information, especially even if they're recording most of these, they could pass that along. Like this is what the other guy had said and had expressed, uh, medical memory. We work a lot of times with hospitalists, um, where they will record, you know, when it's a big complex, more thing, Sometimes maybe the symptoms are louder, but being able to make sure that everybody's on the same page, including some of the providers and the patient about the bigger scope of some of those stuff, um, even on smaller symptoms, I could see that being helpful and having kind of that document and that record of like, well, where are we going and why to be able to refer back to or have a specialist even refer back to. Um, that's a great, that's a great um, thing of, you know, who in your community is doing it a little differently um, yeah. and how you're doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's great. And I think, I think that you're shining a light on something that, you know, again, I only, I think gaslighting just in general became something that is more common knowledge in the past few years. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was like really interested in is, you know, how do we, how do we support our doctors to make sure that that's not coming across, um, yeah. with the kind of the tips that, that you provided just of making sure, you know, all those little things of, even if you don't have the time, like here's my referral, even if you don't have time, making sure that you have the eye contact or asking those few other questions, um, just to kind of buy in. So I really appreciate your time and your intellect, um, in the space. I know I have learned a lot already engaging you and looking at kind of what you do, um, in your medicine space of, um, in something that's not as familiar for me, you know, or my dad who's in a, in that space, he's got a ton of pain. He's had a couple surgeries. We got to start looking at other options that are just beyond, you know, constant surgeries and, and moving forward. So I think that provides so much of a more robust picture of what what is available. So thank you for for that and for taking the time um, with us today. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. And and I think what I might do is end up writing a little article or blog post and put it on Sage Sharona's website. That way, if um, there's anything I didn't get to today that I made notes on, people can have access to that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and your website is just that www.sagesharona.com. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Awesome. So it's a great resource then to kind of go for more information um, for a patient or a provider um, to kind of see about about this, you know, this space. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining. Um, and I look forward to kind of like continuing to follow you on Instagram and learning, you know, learning more about you in this space. So thanks again so much. Thank you. And cut. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Take One Patient. We hope you have a nugget or two you can implement into your practice with your patients today. For more information about recording your visits with a HIPAA compliant app, go to www.themedicalmemory.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Julie Recording Doctors. Thanks again.